and welcome to Or Else, the podcast where we interview current fellows or alumni and business leaders and entrepreneurs in the Indianapolis area. Today, you'll have the pleasure of hearing from Katie Smith, founder of her business, Careerable. She's a career coach, and while we get to hear all about her career path, she also shares some advice for when you're looking at the job market, either for the first time or if you're looking to make a career change after having worked for a while. Oh, is this recording? Oh, yes, yeah, we've been recording oh. for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Yeah, That's no, it's all the good. beauty of editing that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm Katie Smith. Mm-hmm. I'm the founder of Careerable, which is uh, career coaching and organizational consulting. I was an OR fellow 11 years ago now, which is mm-hmm. crazy. Um, yeah, and I live in Carmel with my husband, Derek, and our two sons, Cal and Caden. Katie grew up in Chicago and went to Valparaiso, where she studied communications, public relations, and Spanish. Fun fact, she actually studied abroad in Germany, so she didn't have to use her Spanish. But that's besides the point. When she was about ready to graduate, Indianapolis was far from on her radar as a place to start her career. Chicago born and bred, that's where she saw herself. That was until, of course, or fellowship made a visit to campus. Sometime in the fall, two past Sigma Chi presidents came up from Indianapolis, uh, Mark Reddell and Jesse Kurth, and I didn't really know them, but I knew they were kind of names on campus, and they both went and did this thing called the Orr Fellowship, and were back on campus recruiting, and was interested in all of it, but really the peer network, I think, was the biggest thing that was attractive to me. So anyway, I kind of went through the first steps there and just got deeper and deeper into the process and really liked the whole concept of small business and you didn't have to have a business background to Mm -hmm. be able to do it. So I thought, you know, I was an undeclared major, like I didn't declare my major until sophomore year and I thought, oh great, another two years where I don't have to declare my professional major, I can kind of figure it out on the the way. So anyways, um, yeah, or fellowship was, my class was nine people. Oh, wow. Which was crazy. It was kind of small at the time. I think the class above me was like 13 people, and then the class after me was like 20. So it was like a particularly Mm -hmm. small year, but um, so much fun. Katie's host company was Exact Target. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with Exact Target's story, please just Google it. Read a couple articles, because it has truly made its mark in Indianapolis history. For those of you who are too lazy to educate yourselves, Exact Target was a software company run and founded by Scott Dorsey, Chris Baggett, and Peter McCormick, who eventually sold the company to Salesforce, the biggest cloud-based customer relationship management platform, or CRM for short. Bottom line, the company sold for $2.5 billion. It was a huge deal. People are still talking about it today. Um, it was, I mean, it was an incredible opportunity. It was um, 250 employees when I joined, and then when I left, it was 1,500 uh, with the acquisition. So, yeah, I stayed, I was with Exact Target for about seven years. And, again, my intent was to probably, like a lot of other or fellows, do this thing for two years and then maybe go back home. And that's what I originally thought, but then it just turned out to be such a rocket ship. It was like, you'd be done to leave at this time. So learned so much. while I was at ET and um, was in HR the whole time so I started out rotating they had a new grad program so I got to try out 
uh, initially before you know I was placed I tried out marketing and client services and then HR and then landed in HR full-time HR to me is very foreign, at least from the perspective of I don't know what it looks like to work in HR, except from what I see in the movies, and we all know that's not a good basis. So I asked Katie what were some of the fundamental skills she walked away with having worked in HR. So I originally, like when I was in college, I also didn't really know what HR was and thought, for what I did know, I thought it was uh, benefits and payroll and so mm-hmm. I had no interest in those um, didn't really have the skill set for it but it turned out I mean the opportunity I landed in was in recruiting specifically college recruiting and that felt very much like the fellowship it felt like recruiting for the fellowship so Scott Dorsey at the time was very much interested in basically replicating the fellowship with an exact target so by the time I came they were ready to put a full-time resource over that program so I ended up managing the interns and the new grads so yeah, so it was a, it's a lot of relationship building, just being proactive uh, in your communication, a strong project manager, and then throughout my time there, I rotated, rotated, kind of an adult rotation um, in employee relations and then talent management, okay. and learned a lot of public speaking skills and facilitation, and just really how to work with employees and kind of their needs and desires and their whole career trajectory. You know, at a company, how do you grow someone's career? With so much to experience at Exact Target in the acquisition, Katie said the hardest thing she had to overcome was the decision to leave or stay. I think that when you're with a company for a while, and I was there for seven years, there will be points naturally when you question, is this exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, or should I stay or should I go? And I know I know that's a common question for Or Fellows, and I certainly had it myself, and I at one point considered grad school if that should be, you know, kind of the path I would take. And I ended up taking a couple classes just to investigate. You can do that at IUPUI. And I realized, no, this is the place, you know, it's worth um, sticking it out. And I had a lot of people kind of advising me. And this was pre-IPO, so Exactory went public. And then, you know, pre-acquisition, people wiser than me knew that there was going to be more to the story and something to build towards. And I'm so glad that I stayed just to get that experience. Mm-hmm. And the opportunities while she stayed came in abundance. As the company was growing, they actually opened an office in London, where Katie was lucky enough to visit and work for a small bit of time. <clears throat> exact Target got bought on June 4th, 2013, and I remember that because it was my husband's birthday. So it was my first work trip over there, and I was going just to do some like team sessions and just kind of be feet on the ground helping. Um, the teams over there and I was in the middle of a team session and the manager of the team had been so excited about bringing in all his like marketing managers from France and Germany and it was like the first time this group was all together and he wasn't there for half the session so he got called out by the general manager and he finally came back in and I said I kind of whispered I was like is everything okay and he goes well, it depends how you look at it. Salesforce just bought Exact Target for $2.5 billion. So we kind of had to keep this face on, like everything was still business as usual, but you know, news broke later that day. So that was really fascinating and great learning to be there um, and just see how employees absorbed that information, how I absorbed the information, how it was presented and positioned. And um, anyway, so that was the first trip. And then a couple months later, I was able to go back as EMEA was the first market to be integrated. So because okay. it was a smaller region, they were like, oh, try, you know, 
basically make sales and services of both companies try to work together. So I was able to go back and kind of help with the town halls and org charts and who was going to report to who and Mm -hmm. support the GM over there. So incredible learning, though, when you're kind of out of your comfort zone like that. Katie spent six years working for Exact Target and one additional year under the Salesforce name. And it was that time for her to decide what she wanted to do next. So HR is part of like admin. We were one of the first teams to report into San Francisco. <clears throat> so I knew that my role was going to be probably more, tra- there's going to be more travel, there would be more FaceTime needed in San Francisco. And at the time, my husband and I were considering starting a family. So I started thinking about what my next step was and building my business quietly on the side. So mm-hmm. I ended up getting pregnant, going on maternity leave, and then resigning at the end of my leave, and at the same time launching what is now careerable for myself. So, so yeah, it was. I would say it was driven by family decisions, and just it was like a natural time to leave the business. I felt like I had gotten an incredible experience and was just ready for the next thing. Right. Hearing her talk about learning how to grow a person's career when she worked in HR really made things click for how she ended up doing her career coaching. There are obviously more reasons than just that, but the trajectory made sense and really seemed to fit. I think that where it came from, again, beginning from those the early days of when I was over the new grad programs, there naturally was a lot of coaching that was happening, one-on-one work, and that's really what I enjoyed doing. And so I thought, how can I do that, you know, uh, for myself? And at the time, there wasn't anyone in the market doing it locally, like millennials for millennials. So Mm -hmm. there wasn't anyone my age doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up finding um, some people like New York and L.A. that were doing it and made them be friends with me and kind of tell me how they did it and... um, So anyways, I just kind of modeled my services after that. So it really was, I really don't like the term lifestyle business because I think that it implies that you don't work very hard, but that's essentially what I was going for. I was looking for something that would support like a growing family. As I'm editing and piecing together this podcast, I'm sitting here and trying to think of how to describe my bafflement at Katie starting her company right when she became a new mom. I don't have any kids myself, but I know plenty of people who do, and motherhood is a full-time job. Working while being a new mom is something else, but starting a company? I'm shook. It probably sounds more risky than it felt at the time, honestly, because my biggest why was just to be, pre- like, I wanted to be this a part-time worker and a part-time mom, really, so that was what was driving it, and so... Um, I do think starting a business is risky, but to me it was, it really wasn't. And I didn't plan on, I wanted it to be a referral driven business. So I knew I wasn't going to have to put myself out there that much. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have that much capacity, to be honest, to be managing a ton of like a huge volume of work. So I wanted the ability to keep my business small when I needed it to be small with the potential of growing it, you know, if the capacity kind of came that way. So 
Yeah. I mean, it was the actual launch was kind of funny because I had worked with a friend on my website mm -hmm. and I had written this blog post that was like, okay, here I am, world. I'm Here's my thing. And I wrote the blog post and I published it knowing that no one knew my site existed. Exactly. And I, I went to dinner with my husband and my baby at the time and my friend who had helped me with the website she was notified that there was a new blog post and she saw that I was announcing this. So she took it and announced to the world, hey, Katie's doing this mm -hmm. thing. And I first thought, oh my God, you know, like well, it's just out there. But then it ended up being the best thing because I didn't say a word and everyone very generously started sharing it on my behalf. So it was really kind of cool to watch it evolve like that. Yeah, that's awesome. A lot of what Katie does is one-on-one -on -one sessions working with people who are in transition, as she calls it. People who are looking to make a career change, who aren't quite sure what they want to be doing with work or what their next step is. Even how to apply for positions or set themselves up for an opportunity is something she goes over with them. Her analysis of the situation, for lack of a better word, is based on personality tests and the results from those, as well as exercises based on core values and, of course, past work experience. One aspect that I think is truly unique is the highlighting of introspection and identifying self. If I were to go to my parents and tell them that I were basing my next career decision off of a mix of personality tests and resume cleanup, they'd look at me cross-eyed. And it's not that they don't believe in them. I think it's simply not a part of their generation and how they went about building their own professional life. I think emotional intelligence as like a general subject is becoming more prevalent in work and that people are figuring out you have to understand your emotions and the emotions of others to be able to work well together, kind of this modern day workplace. So yeah, I mean, I think Gen X, millennials are very into self-assessments and the, you know, the, the hot assessment of the of the day and but it all has value because you all you gain something new from each of those you know new data sets and I think it's really important to slow down before you speed up so mm -hmm. like taking stock in yourself and realizing what are your natural strengths and where are your potential roadblocks and a lot of it's just you yourself getting in your own way um, and just owning kind of those weaknesses and knowing how it plays into at work. So I find that it really shapes the conversation and um, it helps point to natural giftings with aligning with work too. Mm -hmm. So you're finding purposeful work and you're finding what's, what is aligned with your talents and it just increases engagement in general. So I think it's definitely worth having the conversation up front before making big decisions yeah. with your career. Yeah. And for those of you trying to enter the job market, who are looking and applying for jobs, here's some friendly advice from Katie herself on how to approach it all. Yeah, so for new, so for college grads, I would say, do take advantage of what's offered on campus, so like career services. Take advantage of your alumni network, because um, you'll oftentimes hear of companies that you've, you've never heard of mm -hmm. and yet are good to look at. Um, and... In, I would say the a same tip that applies to both college and also just kind of outside of college already in the market is just learn to pay attention to the hidden job market. And that starts with social media. I think people don't look enough at Instagram accounts, LinkedIn accounts, Twitter accounts of these companies. Notice what they're putting out there from 
new product releases, which customers are excited about, but also what employees are posting about just inside of the company, what's happening inside the four walls of the organization, and that you can see their, how their culture is celebrated that way. And culture and leadership are everything, really, when you're evaluating jobs. So it's like, how can you learn as much as you can about culture and about the leadership team? Um, yeah, and then again, you know, I think internally, when, when teams talk about what new opportunities do we have, so, okay, we need a new product manager. They're going to say, who do we know before they post that job? So if you're out networking, you want people to know that you're on the market for a new product manager job. And then when that person internally is like, we, we have this opportunity, they can think, oh, wait, I talked to someone a month ago that, you know, was looking into that. So I think that's how you do it. You want, I said, the resume, the best resume is the one you don't have to use because your work product and people recommending you speaks for, speaks for you. Um, but that being said, you want all your materials to be good. But, you know, building your brand is really, you have to do it one-on-one and do it one-by-one. And mm-hmm. it takes that many conversations and relationships with people to establish yourself in the market. What's the number one mistake you see people um, make whenever looking at the new job market? I think you kind of already touched on it, but... They, I think people spend way too much time online. So I think that, so I think that I just mentioned you should be looking at social media, which you should. But in terms of, like browsing job boards and just looking over companies' websites. They'll, they just spend too much time there and not enough time in person. So mm. a general rule of thumb that I share is for every hour you're spending online, you should be spending three hours in person, whether that's getting coffee or attending events. And it just builds your brand. It makes you human. It puts you out there and people get to know you a lot better. Not everyone wants to stay in the same area they've either grown up in or spent a significant period of their life at. So for those of you who want to hop state borders, here are some helpful hints. There is certainly a level of complexity that comes with changing cities. I would say you just have to be persistent. Try to find as many common connections as you can. And then I would say the lens, like the view to take with your resume and your LinkedIn and the story you're selling, because you're transitioning cities, you want to make your resume as uh, familiar as possible. So do that by pulling out any common client name. So your company, you know, are there any recognizable names, anything that will connect the dots and make you seem more familiar to whoever's looking at your resume. Mm -hmm. Um, And then obviously if you can make a trip to the city, just get there and kind of learn the scene and get in front of as many people as you can. Regardless of where you're looking for a job, same city or out of state, Job interviewing really goes the same for the both of them. So, yes, I think in general. So job interviewing is so much like dating, where it's like, right? I mean, the whole networking thing is like dating. Like, you don't want to be too much. You can't be too too much back. So I think that to feel in control in your interview, it's like, what can you control in the situation that feels somewhat vulnerable, is you can obviously be as well prepared as you can. And so the tip I share is create eight to ten stories. Eight to ten stories framed generally in challenge, action, result, or like the STAR method. Like what was the situation that the business was facing, the problem they were facing? What was the action you specifically took? And then what was the outcome of the result? If that's kind of your loose guideline, but you tell it in a storytelling format, mm-hmm. people love stories and people love examples and people like hearing about your past experience and you feel more comfortable because it's your voice, you're owning that story. Mm-hmm. So if you have several of those lined up, they can generally be applied to most interview questions that come your way. Mm-hmm. 
So we all know we need to have a resume for when we're looking for jobs. Also, probably a cover letter, depending on the situation. But something that is becoming more of a requirement is having a LinkedIn profile. I mean, LinkedIn is a non-negotiable. I've had a lot of older clients be like, really, do I have to? And it's like, yes, you have to. Because mm. recruiters, I mean, the numbers are the percentage of recruiters that look there first. I mean, it's, you just can't ignore it. So it's definitely, you have to have a presence there. I think that obviously you can add more context there than a resume. You can tell a little bit more of your story, but still people want to see results. I mean, they want to see, they don't want to see job duties. They want to see results. So if you think of your bullets, whether you write in bullet form or, you know, paragraph form, people just want to see what you did, Mm -hmm. um, what the outcomes were. Yeah. What is your opinion on putting your personality test results on LinkedIn, like Enneagram or your, you know, um, your disc. Mm-hmm. I think you can include it. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you can definitely add it to your professional summary and it gives additional context. If that company uses that assessment and is familiar with it, mm-hmm. um, hopefully a company doesn't profile you. You know, that does happen a little bit, but hopefully you work for a company that can see many talents within a role. Yeah. So I think it just adds additional context. As you obviously hear, Katie knows her stuff. And for any of you who are listening to this thinking, man, I think I could benefit from a career coach. Here are some of Katie's recommendations for finding that resource. I mean, there's some sites that are geared towards millennials like careercontessa.com. The Muse out of New York is really good. Labo League is good. And there's a lot of free resources there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like DIY coaching available now, whether it's through like a, a workbook you download or uh, course that you buy so you can self-coach mm-hmm. yourself on a lot of this stuff but yeah if you do want feedback on yourself it can be good to hire someone um, or just ask you know the people close to you for some feedback right. or <laughs> you know ask someone to sit right. with you and pretend yeah. to go through interview questions I mean it's or or another tip I share that a lot of people kind of laugh at but it's true is record yourself on your phone mm. you learn so much by hearing how you're answering questions and how your tone is coming across and you can kind of self-direct from there yeah that's a good good tip Katie has grown a lot over the last several years in learning to launch her own business and expand her knowledge in the world of career coaching. So before ending the interview, I asked her what her next steps were. It's a great question. I think if you have your own business, you're constantly thinking about this, like what's the next evolution? I mean, for myself right now, again, I I take what I use with clients for myself. So like in terms of evaluating your values, like my most important value for me five years ago was autonomy because I knew that I was going to be entering a season with babies, right? A very demanding season at home. And as I reevaluate that now, five years later, it's still my number one value because I've got two young kids and my oldest kid has some high needs. And so there's more time and attention that needs to be spent there. So it's still, I need that autonomy. So that means that staying with the one-on-one model works well for me. Um, I have worked a lot, I mentioned, with clients in transition, so a lot about job search. And what I would like to do, and a lot of the work that I'm doing with the OR Fellowship, which I just love, is to grow with my clients. Mm -hmm. So I see it as an investment. I mean, actually in preparing for this conversation, I was thinking back to my time in OR, and I was thinking about just the class above me and the class below me. And there are four CEOs just from those two classes. you got Josh Owens, you got Yao, you've got Matt. Hunkler, you've got uh, Max Yoder, and it's, I mean, 
Ever, there's so many people in leadership positions, and those are just the CEOs. So I think about your guys' group, and there's going to be so many significant leadership roles being held by you guys. So I see it as me learning the future pipeline, really. And so so I see myself growing my skills, and hopefully you guys will hire me as your executive coach one day. <laughs> <laughs> so funny, yes. Who knows? Right. So, yeah, I'm putting myself um, – I'm going through a coaching – like a formal coaching program right now up in Chicago. It's a seven-month-long thing, and it's really like schooling me on how to properly coach, mm-hmm. like to ask empowering questions and to forward action and all that good stuff with coaching. So, yeah, I see myself – moving, keeping some transition, but really moving more towards coaching within organizations and a lot around performance development. And I'm hoping that we're starting to see a trend of the democratization of coaching. So it's been a lot of times for the executive team or it's been for problem employees. But I think that we're going to see a shift towards coaching as an asset and it's a benefit offered. And then it's not just going to be reserved for top ranks or key talent. It's going to be a benefit really for across the organization because it's for it's for retention and it's helping employees own their own careers because employers have put the burden of career planning on employees and a lot of them don't know what to do with that so with indianapolis growing so much every year i wanted to know what she thought about the future of leadership coaching in our own city I mean, I think with the tech scene in general, or if you kind of look at like the Orr Fellowship host company family, like the 60 or 70 companies, I think that we have a lot of really, it's a really interesting time because we've got, as I mentioned, we've got Salesforce, mm-hmm. and then we've got all these smaller companies that are trying you know, to get past the 30 and 50 employee mark. So we're wondering who's going to get to that three or 400 person mark or who's going to get bought before that. So I think it's definitely a time of like the startup leader and mm. kind of coaching people in startup environments. And what does that mean to manage your career within a smaller organization where it's not as obvious, you know, or it doesn't seem like there's many places to go, but it's really more thinking about how do you build your resume? How do you build your skills in other ways? Because you can make the most out of any situation. Yeah. It's going to help you for your next opportunity. Thank you for listening to another episode of Or Else. Tune in next time when we interview a fellow who is particularly involved in the civic area of Or Fellowship. <laughs>